This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 171 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past, present, to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, uh, it shouldn't be surprising that this was yet another busy week in the hobby. Everyone's been talking about the LeBron Triple Logo Man. I'm sure you've seen that talk already. It's been all over your social media. That's going up for sale at Golden, as I think we all expected. Uh, In addition to that, we got news that eBay is rolling out their new vault service. And, you know, I've had a few people ask me what I think about that. There are so many variables to that right now that it's hard to tell if it's going to be a good thing or a bad thing for the hobby. Um, I don't really purchase a lot of cards that would qualify for that service anyway, it kind of reminds me a little bit of ComC, except with a lot bigger cards. But, um, you know, it got me thinking, there's a lot of liability in purchasing and flipping expensive cards. And this looks like it could possibly remove some of that friction that you would normally find there. So I think it could be a good thing, uh, especially for a certain group of people that does the hobby a certain way. But like I said, it's really too early to tell. The big concern I've seen is that buyers could be taking on a lot of the vault cost before it's all said and done. Uh, Well, I should clarify, probably more so buyers that want the cards in their hands. Um, And that's not a a diss on the people that don't, but uh, the people that want the cards in hand are probably going to end up paying more. Um, I don't want to jump the gun and make judgment either way, but if this service is something that sounds interesting to you, I encourage you go to their site, read all the fine print, all that fun stuff. But that's not what I'm primarily here to talk about today. As you probably already saw in today's title, I have another installment of the listener mailbag. This is the 10th one. I always enjoy doing those. I put out a request for questions about a week ago, and as usual, you guys did not disappoint. So I'll have that for you here in a few moments. But first, we can't forget about another staple of this show, or something that I I think has become that, I hope has become that, which is the Collector Classifieds. Hey all, this is Mike, aka JW Kings 55. If you're able to lead me towards any of the Jason Williams 2015-2016 Prism Rainbow, I'd greatly appreciate it. I've been trying to complete this set for about four or five years now. Um, in addition to collecting, I wanted to mention that I'm also a middle school teacher running a card club weekly for about 35 to 40 kids. Our club runs exclusively on donations from amazing collectors like yourselves. So if you'd like to reach out to me, um, go ahead and send me a DM. All right, everyone, take care. Okay, thank you, Mike. A couple things there. He said he's looking to complete the 2015 Jason Williams Prism Rainbow. And at first, that kind of surprised me because, you know, you can see from his username, Mike is a, a huge Kings fan. 
and Jay Will is featured as a member of the Orlando Magic on that card. But then I looked again, and it's the only year that Jason Williams has ever been in prison, which was even more surprising to me. I figured he would have been in multiple years by this point. Um, Additionally, Mike mentioned that he runs a card club at the middle school that he works at. And this is the second card club that I'm aware of, with the first one being run by Craig. I think he goes by the handle at New York City Sports Cards. A lot of people talk about how they want to get young people more interested in cards. Well, Mike and Craig have really gone to the front lines and given people a chance to put their money where their mouth is, so to speak. So if you're interested in making a donation, trying to get cards in the hands of young people, also trying to get them in the hands of young people in a context where they're going to learn how to collect them and how to buy and sell and do all the things they need to do, if you want to help them out and help Mike out, feel free to reach out to him. Once again, his handle is at jdubkings55. All right, before I move into today's main segment, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that grow into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle, grind, spam, profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so as I mentioned earlier, today's main segment is the 10th installment of the Listener Mailbag. I've got roughly 20 questions to get through, so I'm just going to go ahead and jump right in with question number one which comes from New York City Hoops underscore collector, who asks, What long-term effect will Panini's unwillingness to disclose pack odds have on their non-numbered SSP inserts and parallels? And then, for examples, he gave Kabooms, Galactics, Next Day Autos, etc. Well, um, I think pack odds are another feature of rare cards that makes them a lot of fun to talk about. I did a video recently for a linchpins insert that I picked up in a lot, and it felt good to announce, hey, this is one in every 360 packs. And some of this stuff, though, has become nearly impossible to reverse engineer, partially because I I think Panini's ramped up the presses in some instances. They like to keep things mysterious because it it seemingly works to their advantage. Think stuff like, you know, the Mosaic Genesis. Um, But I think over time, prices will adjust on the cards that keep showing up again and again. And that could be, you know, for two different reasons. Maybe they actually are rare, but no one wants them. Um, So just because something's rare doesn't necessarily always make it desirable. Or maybe there's something that's perceived to be rare, but it just keeps showing up again and again and again because there's a lot out there. Either way, I think the prices will drop and probably the kind of the prestige and the allure of these cards will drop if the demand doesn't exceed the supply. I think we saw that with both Status Pursuits and then also what, what I already mentioned, the Mosaic Genesis Parallels. Okay, uh, Family Sports Card Unboxing asks, how do you deal with a seller who prints the shipping label the last day of their stated window and then gets it to the post office another several days later? Some of you, your your skin is probably crawling just hearing that question because if you've been in this hobby for any length of time and you've been buying cards on eBay, you probably have been through that. I absolutely hate this. Um, I also hate when sellers print a label and the package just sits there at their house forever. 
That seems to happen fairly often. Uh, and then USPS has been pretty iffy on scanning stuff, so the seller knows they can always put the onus back on USPS. As far as how I deal with it, though, there's really not much you can do. If it's been over a week and I'm noticing there's no movement on something, I'll message the seller to make sure the package actually got shipped. I've had a few occasions where people printed the label and just simply forgot. Maybe it got buried on their desk. Look, I know, you know, life happens. It's frustrating, but life happens. Um, I try not to make a big deal about it. As long as it arrives safely and the seller seems apologetic about it, I'm not going to make a big deal. I'm not going to leave a negative. All right, the next question uh, is actually two questions. comes from at my player collections. So number one, he said, from your wish list of people you'd like to interview for your podcast, what name would surprise people the most? I wish I had a fun answer for you here, but I can't think of one. because I, I don't have a huge wish list in general because I, you know, I try to keep it just to realistic candidates. Um, and I don't think any of them would be surprising. You know, you, if you've listened to the show for a while now, I think you pretty much have it figured out. Uh, I'm, I'm not a, a big surprise guy here. Um, but with that being said, I am trying to line some people up for the summer. I've got an interview with a neuropsychologist I'm working on that I'm pretty excited about. Uh, the holdup though is she wants me to read her book, which that's fine. Uh, it's just one, it, it's a $40 book and two, uh, it's going to take me some time. So that's something that I'm, I'm working towards and hopefully I'll have for you, you know, I don't know, maybe by the end of the year, just know I, I do want to get more guests on, but coordinating everything can be pretty tricky at times, uh, especially when real life is happening simultaneously. Uh, question number two from my player collection says, what book about the hobby would you say is required reading or recommended reading? Uh, I'll be honest here, I probably only read a couple books about the hobby, and they were so underwhelming that I don't even remember the titles. So I googled top sports card books, and, and there are some lists out there. Most of them are baseball card books, um, you know, about a lot of them about tobacco cards, which I think I, I might try and read at some point because that looks like kind of interesting, but um, nothing that I would really, you know, that I'm able to tell you, hey, you should go read this. So I don't want to leave you with nothing, though. This is my personal opinion, but I think people would be better suited uh, to just spend 15, 20 hours looking through old blowout threads instead of various hobby books. And I say that it's, it, you know, you can't just log on and start reading. Somebody's going to have to make a list. It's not going to be me. Uh, in the meantime, though, I would encourage people to just read books about basketball instead. You could read one of Wilt's books. You could read something from Phil Jackson. Um, I would recommend Jackie McMullen's book about bird and magic. I just finished Elgin Baylor's book, and I've enjoyed that one. So find an area you want to learn more about and go from there. Okay, Raytifer Chris, I hope I said that right. Raytifer Chris commented, you probably have addressed this at some point, but what's the song used in the intro and why did you select it? Uh, and he said, side note, I really like it and feel like it does a great job taking me from present moment into the proverbial wax museum. You know, I don't think I've talked about this, but the song is called In Tune, and it's by Kelly Mays. It's K-E-L-L-E-E-M-A-I-Z-E. -E -E. But you have to make sure to get the remix version. I think it's called remix version number two. The regular version sounds a lot different. But the key thing for me is that I was looking for a free song that didn't sound so uh, free. And that took a long time, because most of the free music is really really bad. I didn't care so much about the middle of the song, but I needed 30 seconds or so that sounded pretty unique. Something that when you hear that music, 
you know that the Wax Museum podcast is coming on. Um, now, if I could have chosen any song and not had to worry about the copyrights and all that stuff, you know, if I was choosing something more cliche, it probably would have been, I don't know, the intro to like Forgot About Dre or maybe Regulate. Although Warren G was pretty quick to let everyone know that he would regulate any stealing of property. So with that being said, the Intune remix has worked pretty well so far and I've grown to really like it. Thanks for the question. I'm, I'm glad you've enjoyed it as well. Okay, at NDLions23 wrote, I don't hear you talking about adding star cards to your collection very often. How do you feel about the star sets? I've never really thought about this, but you're right. Um, I'm, I don't talk about those cards, and I really haven't been adding those cards. So if I had to kind of talk myself through it, I guess it would come down to a few factors. Number one, they were big in the 80s, and the Pacers didn't have any major stars then. Pacers were horrible. So that that's probably the biggest reason. In fact, my favorite Pacers star card is more of a meme because they had a goofy-looking white guy on the roster named Devin Durant. Um, now, on top of the Pacers not being good, the cards have always felt kind of uh, amateur to me. They look plain. They feel cheap. And then the few cards that I'm most likely to be interested in, which would be the Hall of Fame pre-rookie cards, or rookie cards as some people would call them, Um, They cost a lot more than I'd be willing to pay. So all in all, I wouldn't say I'm anti-star. There's just not much there that really fits my PC. Um, Okay, PDX Hobby King added. This is kind of, uh, um, you know, adding on to this previous question. If you could touch on the grading counterfeiting of Star 2, that would be great. Sometimes I'm just confused by Star and the history behind them, causing me to stay away. Well, this gets kind of hairy, and I talked about it in more detail in episode 29, but I know you know that's been a long time ago, and I'm going to do my best to sum it up here. It was helpful for me to kind of go back and review those notes, too. Whenever you're dealing with star cards, you definitely need to do your research, and I would recommend spending some time on a great website called basketballgold.com. That's where a lot of my info for star stuff comes from. I also got some information from a website called jordancards.com. So... Presently, the only company that grades star cards is Beckett, and they were trained to grade star cards by Steve Taft, who's an original star dealer dating back to 1983. He also helped train people at Sports Collectors Digest and Global Authentication, but neither of those companies grade anymore. Uh, PSA graded some early on, but they stopped after they discovered that they had graded some Type 2 copies, which were basically preprint samples that were supposed to be destroyed. Um, You might hear a lot of people talk about a a shop-at-home scandal or, you know, printing plates that were used to reprint cards. The shop-at-home cards were not reprints. And basically what happened there was that the owner of a star company was was trying to capitalize on the name and he created a new set of cards in the late 90s and backdated them to 1985. So as far as reprints go, according to Basketball Gold, uh, according to that website, they said, quote, There is no evidence that any original Star Company card that was released between 83 and 86 was reprinted from the original plate, end quote. So if you see reprints being sold on eBay or somewhere else, those are just flat-out counterfeits, just like all the fake 86 Fleer Jordans that are out there. Um, That's my best attempt at a quick summary for you. And the situation is obviously very messy. I wouldn't let this, um, you know, the fear of that steer you away from Star Cards if you want to buy some, though. Try to look at things from a little different perspective. Consider this an opportunity to do your research, uh, to put in the work, to gain some knowledge of a situation, and then reap the reward when 
your purchase or whatever cards you're wanting are finally in hand. Okay, MJS underscore sports cards commented, do you still rip packs? If so, what's your approach? He said, I mostly buy singles, but try to get a box and a few packs of hoops each year. He says, I know you're not a fan, but I love hoops. Now, remember, I the hoops thing is more of a running gag. I There are components of hoops that I like, and I used to try and rip a little bit of hoops every year. I used to grab a blaster a season just to have something to rip. Well, I haven't ripped much of anything lately, though, but there are a few products I'd still like to rip at retail cost, regardless of the value inside or the return on the investment or anything like that. Um, if I could find Prism and Optic, I would probably rip those, but I haven't found those in a Walmart since the 2019-2020 season. Um, for a while, I was using that blaster money then to buy random binders on eBay. As, as long as I saw a card or two in each binder that I wanted, a lot of those binders were duds, but uh, there were a few that I hit on, which that's kind of the way blasters work too. So, um, But anyway, the short answer is I'm not ripping much right now because I can't find anything at Walmart that I'd like. All right, Slangin' Rocks PC asks, after seeing the bread card on your last NBA Top 75 YouTube video, what are your favorite oddball sets from the 80s and 90s? Um, when I was working on the outline for this episode, I left this answer blank for a long time because I really don't have any favorites. And part of the reason I've started to dig into the oddball sets of the 50s, 60s, and 70s is because um, you know there weren't a lot of cards in those eras to begin with. So like, let's say you collect Pete Cross. Um, he's got his whatever 70s tops releases were out there. And then also you've got a couple cards that were on loaves of bread and that's it. Um, and then my 80s collection in general is fairly weak. Uh, most of the cards I have of 80s players were manufactured in different eras. One that I do have though that was made in the 80s, I guess you could call it an oddball card, is the Michael Jordan Estrella's uh, rules card, which I, I believe is a Spanish set, but you know, to be perfectly honest, it doesn't do much for me. So this answer is incomplete right now. I go through phases with different eras. Uh, someday, maybe I'll move into the 80s and, and I'll probably dig up some stuff I've never seen before. If you've got some suggestions, though, I'm all ears. In the meantime, though, one place I could probably look would be ComC, who is kind enough to help sponsor this show. So just a quick reminder here, that ComC.com is your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With a ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time and ship them home together, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at CheckOutMyCards. Okay. The next question comes from late 90s B-Ball, who writes, I see a lot of memes about young kids doing huge money deals in the hobby and at card shows. As someone who doesn't go to a lot of card shows, is this really a thing? If it is, is it really the parents orchestrating deals? Is it just meme fiction? Well, um, from my experience, I wouldn't say it's the norm because I still have plenty of kids that come up to me with a, a case full of early hoops base and, and you know some of the newer common shiny stuff, which I will look through every time, mind you, because number one, you never know what you're going to find in there. And then number two, I want to make them feel good about their collection, no matter what level they're at, because we all know that's something that makes you feel good when someone compliments your collection. So I try to treat everyone's collection the same way. 
um, and, and give them that respect. But yes, I have had kids come up to me without their parents with a case full of stuff that's so nice that I basically have to turn them away. And don't get me wrong, I, I'm not out here with the intentions of building up the most valuable collection, but at the same time, it's humbling to have to tell a 13-year-old that his cards are a higher range that you can deal with. Um, it's it's something I never anticipated before this current era, but it, it is definitely happening. Okay, JF Cards 28 commented, define what a PC player is. I feel like the term gets thrown around a lot. Well, for me, a PC player is any player that prompts strange or obsessive behavior. Because we all have our saved searches, but who are the players that you manually search for? Who are the players that you search different spellings of their names in the off chance that you know a card of theirs was mislisted? That, to me, is a true PC player. Okay, Jones underscore AF asks, Imagine a scenario where you're only permitted to have magic or bird in your PC. You cannot collect both. Who do you keep in the PC and why? Uh, this one's tough because those two just seem so inseparable to me. Now, does that mean I can't have their rookie either? Because, you know, both of the, both guys are on the same rookie card. Um, although technically they were on other panels in that set too. So maybe I would only be allowed to have one of those. 1980 tops was just really strange. If we're talking cards in general, though, I have to go with the guy I have more of a connection with. Larry Bird was born in Indiana. He grew up in Indiana. And even though I never got to see him play, I definitely remember when he was named the coach of the Pacers in the late 90s. And then, of course, those three seasons. Uh, that was a really big deal there. And then, of course, he spent another decade and a half on and off in the Pacers front office. So no disrespect to Magic Johnson, but Larry's my guy. Hail Mary's SC asked, if Kyle could bring back one base set from the 90s to early 2000s, what would that set be and why? Well, it's hard to narrow it down to one set, but I think I would choose um, maybe 2003-2004 Fleer Showcase. And even though I opened a decent amount of stuff that season, it was all cheap retail stuff, I don't think I got to rip much of this. But... Um, for me, I like these because they're a little reminiscent of the late 90s showcase sets where there's more of a headshot picture in the background and then there's an in-game shot on top of that. Um, now, the 2003 version has the player's number real big on the front too. These just feel like a premium card when you hold them. I see people list stuff like this as uh, a refractor on eBay and they're just regular cards. But whenever I, I get one of these in hand, I'm always tempted to flip them over because I think, you know, surely this card should be numbered it's just too nice. Um, I think this is a nice question, though, or a great question. I might have to turn the tables and ask you guys for your picks, too. All right, Alex, a.k.a. Connell Collection. You know him well. He's been on the show a couple times. He wrote, what's a realistic dual or triple auto that you wish existed but doesn't? And then he gives his example, which is Glenn Rice and Dwayne Wade with Miami. Um, and then he wants me to name a ridiculous or impossible dual or triple that I wish existed, but is impossible due to licensing or players who have passed away. So his example, there's a Jordan, Kobe, and Wade shooting guard triple. Um, for my realistic duel, I'm going to say Ron Artest and Ben Wallace. And of course, it has to be on on-card autos, and it has to be a picture from 2004. 
As for the second question, I'm going to change the parameters a little bit. You said a ridiculous dual or triple. Well, guess what? I want a five-person on-card autograph. So that would be three on the front and two on the back of every Pacers coach that finished with a playoff record of 500 or better. So that would be Slick Leonard, Larry Brown, Larry Bird, Rick Carlisle, and Frank Vogel. Now, if you take Slick Leonard off, that's actually a very doable quad still. Um, and all of those guys have been, you know, willing signers in the past. Um, I, I don't like, sometimes I don't like brainstorming this stuff because I get excited over stuff that is clearly not going to happen. Um, there's no indication that either Fanatics or Panini is going to go this route, but I can dream. Okay, so speaking of Pacers, Ryan Richards Oville ask, you wake up tomorrow and the Indiana Pacers never existed. What team would you collect? Um, that's a good question. Probably the Colts, assuming that I'm even collecting at that point. But if there are no Pacers and I'm still a huge NBA fan and collector, I'd probably just double down on the historic stuff. I think I'd still like to be able to narrate the history of the league with my collection. Um, I mentioned the Colts there, and, and Redhead's Cards ask, do you collect any football cards, Colts maybe? Uh, so the answer to that is yes. Not counting base, I probably got around 50 cards in my football PC, mostly Colts, and I have to be pretty selective with what I pick up because any, you know, I know in the back of my mind, any football card I purchase is taking funds that I could use for basketball. So I, I do try to be mindful of that. Um, I do like continuity, though, between sports and sets. So, like, it was nice in the early 2000s. I was picking up my favorite Pacers Fleer cards, and then I had the option. I didn't always get them, but I could get my favorite Colts Fleer cards as well, and they were in some of the same sets, so they looked good together. I've tried to do some of that with Panini as well. So I really only go for Prism or Optic Gold cards and then nice patches. And um, you've heard me talk a little bit about my gold binder on here. I know there's at least one Colts page in there too. Um, who knows? Maybe if I'm feeling real adventurous someday, I'll start a Colts refractor binder. I think that could be kind of fun. Okay, uh, 77 NCAA champs posted four questions. Yes, four of them. So I'm going to try and hit each one of those real quick. Number one, how are card shows doing? Are they reflective of the online marketplace like eBay? I haven't set up at one in a month or so, so I can't give you a good indication of sales numbers. I will say, though, the ones that I've been to, the foot traffic has been good, and I'm hoping that that continues through the summer because that always makes things more fun. Um, question number two, he said, what's your all-time less than three years with the Pacers team? So I'm not going to count some of the, the current newer guys like Tyrese Halliburton or TJ Warren. Um, that's not as fun as, as going with maybe a more eclectic mix. So, uh, here's my starting five. I'm going to go Tim Hardaway at the point who played 10 regular season games for the Pacers. Um, after he retired initially in 2003, I'm going to slide Byron Scott into the shooting guard spot. He played 147 games for the Pacers at the three. We're going to put Alex English. Um, he played 135 games for the Pacers before, they traded him for George McGinnis, an aging George McGinnis, and then he went on, you know, English went on to have a Hall of Fame career and score the most points in the 80s. Um, at the four, we're going to put Louis Scola, played 163 games with the Pacers, and then towering in the paint, 
will be Pacers legend Andrew Bynum, who played two games with the Pacers. I watched both of them. He Actually, they won both of those games, and one of them was a, a big... Uh, he had a big role in winning and, and a big role in the comeback. I, I remember that was against the Pistons. That one will, of course, stick in my mind, any good win against the Pistons. All right, uh, question number three, are F1 cards a fad? The last time I made a comment about F1, I got some snarky replies. So all I'm going to say is collect what you like. Question four from 77 NCAA champs. Uh, what's your worst pet peeve regarding eBay packages? And then he gave me some options. Uh, number one, smells like strong cigarette smoke. Number two, animal hair. Uh, number three, curly human crotch hair. I believe we call those pubes. Uh, and then number four, straight filthy top loaders. Um, I'll tell you what, I feel like the majority of the lots that I buy have a combination of the four, or at least two or three of them. So I can tolerate the pet hair and dirty top loaders probably more than the other stuff. Um, if there is a big curly hair in there, I try and tell myself, hey, you know, maybe they just have a really long-haired dog, even though I know better. But the cigarette smoke lots, um, those, I have to put them out in the garage for a little bit so they can air out. That initial poof of cigarette wind, though, when you open a package up, uh, that can be pretty lethal at times. All right, next up, I've got two questions from the big Aristotle. John asked, what is the one thing you know now about the hobby that you wish you knew when you started? And what is the biggest change you've seen in the hobby since you've started? Well, the first one's kind of hard to answer because I've collected for about 27 years now. And I took a short break between 2000 and 2003. Um, I came back. I switched to baseball from like 2007 to 2009. And then um, pretty much since then, I've been in this hobby on and off. Um, now that doesn't mean I've been fully immersed in the hobby all those years, but, uh, I've been around for a while. So, um, I'm not just going to name off cards here that I wish I would have bought. I think that's kind of a cop-out answer. You know, chances are I wouldn't have had the money anyway. I guess if anything, I wish I would have known about card shows and I, you know, I had heard of card shows, but, uh, no one ever really took me to one. And, and even when I started driving, I didn't, drive myself to one either. I don't think I went to my first card show until maybe 2013. And then I didn't start going regularly until probably 2015. As far as the biggest change I've seen, it's got to be the emphasis on investing. And, uh, you know, I don't want to just speak in the moment, but yeah, it seems like it's taken a pretty drastic turn in the last three or four years. Um, and don't get me wrong, people have been prospecting and flipping cards for decades but it feels like it's taken on a much different tone in the last few years. And with that being said, you know, I do see a lot of people that come back to the hobby and they'll post on social media or Reddit and they're disappointed. They'll say, you know, things are ruined now or it didn't used to be like this. Even see long-term people saying, yeah, you know, things have changed. It's ruined. Um, the fact of the matter is you might not be able to enjoy this hobby exactly how you like it. But that doesn't mean that things are ruined. You just might have to get a little more creative. If you really, really want to enjoy this hobby, I think you can find a way to make it work. You just have to be receptive to stretching yourself and doing things a little bit different. All right, Jake Roy um, at 90s underscore b-ball cards commented, is there any one card you would trade your entire collection for? If so, what would that one card be? 
If there isn't one right now, what would it be if you could create a fantasy card? Um, this might surprise some people, or I don't know, maybe it wouldn't, but I would say no. You know, there, there's no card out there like that. Um, it's just like so many different things, and I can't imagine trading it all for one piece. You know, I have nothing against consolidation, uh, and I respect the people that are able to do that, but it is just not for me. I like to flip through boxes. I like to flip through stacks of cards. I like to have them stacked up around me on my desk, um, and that's obviously not doable if you only have one. Okay, Evan, Geech Quest Cards, um, similarly then, commented, would you trade the totality of your collection for an ultimate fan experience? Um, hmm. Now, my first reaction was similar to the previous question, which was absolutely not. But then I thought about it for a while. You know, I'm, I'm trying to give good answers here. I think the only thing that I would trade everything for um, would be if the Pacers... Um, made a, the NBA Finals and they won the title and I could take my dad to the, that final game. I can't even begin to put into words how much that would mean to me. Um, with that being said, I think my collection's safe. I, I think we're good. Um, which transitions then to our next question, which came from at Mr. Archer. He wrote, you have a pretty vast collection at this point and have focused on a few key areas. What are the cards that are your highest priority to acquire. Think of this as a collector classified for yourself. Well, I do, I really appreciate that, Josh, and I'm not going to turn down a, an opportunity to talk about some things I'm looking for. So um, just real quick here, I'm still looking to complete the um, 06, 08, and 09 Topps Chrome Gold Refractor sets for the Pacers. I think there's a total of, of six cards that I need between all three years. I'm still looking for more Jumbo Pacers patches from Topps Big Game and I think, you know, the majority of those have been locked up in PCs for years. I met a Ron Artest collector um, years ago that's got a lot of those for Ron. So, you know, who knows? Maybe I need to reach out to him again on Facebook. Other than that, though, I am just patiently waiting for other rare Pacers relics to pop up. Things like jumbo laundry tags, full nameplate letters, that sort of thing. Um, and as always, I appreciate any help I can get in tracking those down. All right. Well, there you have it. As usual, you guys provided me with a lot of good questions. I sat on them for a few days. I always try to think this stuff through when I get the opportunity. Um, and then you guys gave me the opportunity to talk about my collection, which is something I always enjoy doing. I hope you enjoyed the responses. Maybe there was something I mentioned in a response today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me under the handle at Wax Museum Podcast. I'm also on Twitter under at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that, and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast. <laughs>